0: details of life. I'm your host, Marcus Wilson, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming and spending some time with me today. I sincerely appreciate it. You could have been a lot of other places, but you chose to come here, and I promise you, I will not disappoint. You are going to love this one. Today, I have Pacific head coach Damon Stoudemire. Many of you recognize that name. If you watched basketball at all in the 90s and 2000s, you recognize him. I mean, he was first team All-American, Pac-10 player of the year at Arizona, seventh pick of the NBA draft, NBA Rookie of the Year, had a great career, started off in Toronto, then moved over to Portland, had some some interesting times there. I mean, was a baller but played with a really interesting group of guys there. That's when Rasheed Wallace was getting all those texts, and you know they were actually called the Portland Jailblazers. We talked about that. How did that affect him as a person receiving all that scrutiny? How does that affect how he disciplines his players now? You know, It was really cool conversations. We took a trip down memory lane of what it was like playing Back in the Conference of Champions when Arizona and UCLA was top five, top ten every year. And then we also got into some other stuff. Really cool conversation. He played against Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron. And we got a chance to talk about who he thought was the GOAT. So, you know, that that was some more cool stuff. A lot of great conversation here. Of course, we talked about his current team at Pacific. You know, he was just recently named this past year West Coast Conference Coach of the Year. Right, That same West Coast Conference with Gonzaga and Mark Few Yeah, Damon Stoudemire was Coach of the Year this year You may not have known that, he's getting it done on and off the court So, a lot of cool stuff, enough of me talking I can't wait for you guys to listen to this So without further ado, let's go ahead and join in with Pacific Head Coach, Damon Stodemeyer. Like I just prefaced today, we have former NBA Hooper and current Pacific University Head Coach David Stoudemire. How you doing, coach? Man, I'm doing well today. Marcus, how you doing, man? Man, I'm awesome, man. Thank you for taking the time to come on the details of life. And we're going to go into your career and as a player and as a coach. But also want to talk. start off as your playing days at Arizona. You know, you were a consensus All-American, made it to the Final Four. So, obviously, those are probably some of your highlights. But what are some of your best memories as a player at Arizona? You know... <laughs>
1: you know i was i was fortunate i was fortunate you know cuz when you go to college you don't you don't really know you know what it's going to be like and man i was fortunate i i played for a hall of fame coach um one of the highlights for me man is that i i got a chance to play with so many pros like people don't really understand that makes you a good player i played with You know, Joseph Blair, Ben Davis, um, you know, Mike Dickerson, Miles Simon, like, man, the list goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and, um, you know, I just didn't envision that when I went. I mean, I knew I would be challenged, but I didn't envision that, and for me, you know, each and every day to have to come and compete every day in practice, like, Think about, think about that compared to today. There's probably a handful of colleges where you got to come and compete every day where the coach don't got to motivate you, where the, coach, where, where the coach doesn't have to motivate you. Back then, there wasn't no motivation. Uh, you had to come play because you'd lose your position, man. <laughs> like, you, like it, it wasn't no, uh, no, no, no. And, and I will say this, probably the, the other biggest highlight was who I was competing against at that time in that conference. You know, uh, there's a, there, you know, us in UCLA were, were like the, the, the barometers at that time. And I remember my freshman year, we played UCLA uh, the first time at, at McHale. And there were like 16 pros in that game. There were 16, you just think about what I said like 16 pros um, on our team. It was myself, it was Khalid Reeves, Chris Mills, Sean Rooks, Ed Stokes, uh, 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 Matt Othick played in the NBA, Ray O's played in the NBA. Um, I'm probably even missing somebody else off our team. UCLA, Don McClain, Tracy Murray. Eddie O'Bannon, uh, uh, George Zedek, Tyus Edney, Gerald Mackins. Um, and I'm probably missing some off of their team. Uh, the coaches in that game, you know, you think about the coaches, Lou Olson, Jim Herrick, Lorenzo Romar, what's the assistant? I think Mark Godfrey was like, Grad assistant or something you see, like you just start to think of all the names and all the, like you know, even you know, I got a chance to play. In, you played against Cal, Jason Kidd, Lamont Murray, um, Michael Stewart, Yogi Stewart, like you, 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 done, Stanford, Brevin Knight, like this. It it is not happening like that anymore, man. Where you. You know, you got challenged every uh, uh, USC uh, Harold Miner, <laughs> Dwayne Cooper, like you know that you know these were guys that were you know these were these were these were pros, man. Like every team, it seemed like at that time had at least one pro. Oregon State, Brett Berry, they had Brett Berry. Like you know what I mean? Like nobody even. Other than his brothers <laughs> at that time, I even thought about Brent. But I'm I'm saying like it was the Pac Ten at that time, not the Pac twelve, but the Pac Ten, God, it was it was it was major. You know, there were there were always gonna be three teams in the top ten every year. Every year when I was at Arizona, except maybe my last two, us UCLA always started off in the top ten, top five, top ten. But USC had that run when Harold was there where you know, they were, they were right there, too. So, I mean, just it was a league of champions, as, as, what my, as my man Bill Walton calls it. But it was, uh, you know, it was, man, the, just getting a chance to go to Arizona and compete. Like, you know, and I don't want look. I don't know how long I got. I'm just talking. <laughs> I think about the games, right? We went and played. I won't talk about the, the good games we played, what were considered the great game. Because we played at Syracuse. No, we did all that. Who goes and plays Rhode Island at Rhode Island? Do you think that a top ten program right now from the West Coast would go across the country to play at Rhode Island right now? It won't happen in college basketball today. We went and played against Rhode Island, Tyson Wheeler, who was a freshman, and a guy by the name of Katino Moby. Man, I didn't know – I had no clue who these guys was. (laughs) And and we had to go put our hard hat on – you you don't do that anymore in college basketball, but that was the beauty of college basketball back then. That that you know it wasn't about none of the dynamics. It was just about you know you're scheduling. You're playing the best teams. Best teams come back to play you, and that's just what it was. So.
0: Man, no, that, you name. Man, I forgot all those players, man. And you're right. Pac Pac-10 was full of pros, but also says a little bit about yourself, man, because you was consensus All-American, putting in work. But man, I, I remember those days. And so just a little kind of off topic, but I remember I was just telling one of my buddies that you was coming on the podcast. And I was like, man, what would you, what, what would be something you would want to ask him? And he was like, man, how did he get his name Mighty Mouse? He's like, I used to love Mighty Mouse. So how did that nickname come about back then?
1: I have no clue. You know, I, just, you, know, I, I you know, I, I, I messed around and I started to get a tattoo fetish. I got my first tattoo, right? So I got my first. Actually, Khalid got his first tattoo his senior year. So I seen it. I was like, man, I'm about to go get a tattoo. So I went and got my name. I didn't know what to do. And My, my little shoulder wasn't that big. My name was all. It looked, it looked lopsided and all that. And I said, you know what? I got to try to get me another one. So what happened is, is I think it was the summer between my senior year and my freshman year. Excuse me. My first year in the NBA, I went and got that tattoo. I get to Toronto, and it just kind of took off. So everybody just kind of ran with it. Mighty Mouse, Mighty Mouse. They even made a little commercial. We had, Nike made a little spot. We had a little spot and everything. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how that
0: how that how that came about. That's crazy. I do remember that. I had forgot that was your nickname until he just mentioned that. But no, that's cool to know how that. That started up. But you mentioned Toronto. We don't have a whole lot of time to cover everything because you've had a lot of success throughout your career. But you did go to Toronto, bought out, you know, rookie of the year, averaged about 20 and 10. Um, and then after that, got traded to Portland. And anybody around my age, I remember that time, and, you know, they were calling Portland the Portland Jailblazers because of some off-the-court type of stuff, you know. But what I wanted to ask you about that time was, you know, considering you were still a young man at that time, you know, you've had time to mature and everything. But at that time, all that media scrutiny, a lot of it was negative. I remember it felt like Rasheed Wallace was just a a bad guy back then, which, you know, and so how does that, how did all that uh, negative attention and all that, how did that affect you now as a coach in terms of how you discipline your players or do you show them more grace or did, did any of that impact how you lead or discipline your players now?
1: It does. I'm not going to lie. It does. And, and I, I had to find a bound when I became head coach, it was, it was harder because I was the final decision maker as an assistant coach. You know, I seen the issue for what it was, but you know, when I, when I was in Portland, you know, it was, you know, and, and, and situations were brought, you know, you look, look back on it. Now we, you know, some of us brought the situations on ourselves. Now let's, let's, let's be honest, but, it makes you guarded man it it makes you guarded so what happened is is that i was already only child and it made me it made me so the stuff i went through in portland made me so guarded for a long time and truth be told i was probably a little scarred and it took me a long time to get over that stuff man you know because um at times it wasn't about basketball you know what i'm saying and so for me um, back then, and I was from Portland too, so it was just like a double-edged sword, sword, man, you know, and, and and you couldn't get away from it. You know, but as I became, you know, assistant coach and head coach, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, you know, you just gotta you gotta be careful with your choices, man. You know, you you do. You have to be careful with your choices. Um, and we didn't even come up in the social media area. So I think about my playing career, and I think had I came up in the social media era, man, I you know, I I I would have been a phenomenon in a lot of different ways. Some for the good, and some for the bad. It is what it is, and that's what I tell these guys, man. You know, when you do something, boom, it's 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 in fine print. You know, I try to tell these guys, I try to give them every example, Marcus, that I can of what 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 happened to me, the good and the bad, so they see the whole gamut and the spectrum. And I think it helps me as a coach because. I'll be honest with you. There are a lot of times where you know I I love I love second chance kids. I'm not gonna lie. I love second chance kids. I love kids rough around the edges. I love it. I do because I see a little bit of them in me and the things that I've been through. I feel like they can relate to those things. And I try to be honest. I try to be transparent. And um, you know, yes, it's 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 affected it's affected me. And some of the imp- the things that I implement are a direct reflection of what happened to me. And I try to guard them from that. And I know and I know that I can't, you know, guard them 100%, but I do try to guard them from the things that happened to me.
0: I assume that would be your answer because people don't realize, I mean, you, you were in your younger 20s, but still, when you're in your younger 20s, all that fame, all the attention, money, and then the negative that comes with that, I'm sure it does make you guard it. And then even as a coach, I'm sure you can – it probably helps you in, like, recruiting and relationships because you can tell your players, hey, nothing that you going through that I haven't been through, right? And so, man, mm-hmm. I'm sure your players can respect that. Um, but throughout your career, you played against a lot of great players. Again, we can't name them all, but I would probably say, you know, three of the ones that are most worldwide famous, you know, Kobe, LeBron, MJ. I'm not, gonna, I'm not one to ask who was better because I've just learned to appreciate greatness. But what were some of the things that you saw in them on the court, off the court, training habits, anything that were similar that you think, you know, that you could say man, some of the greats all of them did this.
1: I mean, it's funny because it finally came out through the last dance the relationship that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant had, but man anybody in the league at that time knew that knew that Kobe emulated Mike like you just like it was it was obvious, man. The mannerisms Everything the approach, everything he did was just like Mike. You know what I mean? It was just like Mike. Like so, um, I came in the league. So I was a I was in the league of uh, the the Bulls' second three peat. And um, you know, I mean, Mike, Mike, Mike was Mike, man. They were really good. Um, you know, he he had it. He had an aura about him. You know, and and I think that everybody's saying like he 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 was he was a killer. Like he didn't he didn't care. This is the one thing I, I I look at and I just I I just say this because you can only you can only say prime Mike, prime Kobe, even to a certain extent prime LeBron. And when I say prime LeBron, he's in his what seventeenth year. So let's say. 13, well, let's call it the first 10 years. Let's just say, let's say after LeBron's second, let's say everybody's two through 10, call it two through 10. In today's basketball, two through, two through 10, can you imagine them? Because everybody just switches the ball screen now. So can you imagine them in years two through 10, what they would be doing the defenses now? With guys just switching on them? Nobody talks about that. You can throw LeBron up in there, like to me, we forget to throw LeBron in those conversations because he in year seventeen, he didn't come up in this era. He was in what? He, I played against LeBron for I think four years, four or five years. So that's two thousand three, I think he think was his rookie year, you know. And uh, man, like two thousand three, LeBron to two thousand, let's say the the second title or even the first title in in Miami come on man like you know but Kobe uh, you know I I mean I think that for me Mike is the best player ever I think he is um I think that I think that uh Kobe and LeBron are right there but I just look at I look at basketball so different. I, I hate debating. I hate debating errors. I do, I hate it. Um, and I, but I, but I do believe this. Sometimes when we talk about LeBron and they they talk about LeBron and they talk about Mike, and I could be totally wrong. When I see LeBron, I see more Magic than I see Mike. I see Magic Johnson, and then we don't talk about Magic as much as Mike, and we forget that Magic was like. He he, top ten. He top ten in the history. That doesn't that doesn't make LeBron not not in the discussion as as the best player ever. But he's not Michael Jordan to me. He's more Magic. I think LeBron enjoys passing the ball and making his teammates better just as much as he enjoys scoring the ball. Like that's the gift. That's his gift. Yep. That's the gift that he has. You know. He scores because he just can't, you know? Yep. So I think that he – I think that from that standpoint, you know, um, we haven't seen any anybody since Magic Johnson that size that does the things with the basketball that LeBron does. He's just a more athletic Magic Johnson.
0: Yep. Yeah, man, I was watching uh, Rashad Phillips talking to Kendrick Perkins the other day. He gave a real good example about this. Because, you know, ever since Kobe passed, man, I, I, don't, I don't debate on that stuff no more. I just want to respect their greatness. But Rashad Phillips said, you know, he looks at it like this. You know, you got great white sharks. You got hammerheads. You got tiger sharks. And, yeah, Magic, I mean, uh, Jordan and Kobe might be great whites. They're, they're a little bit more like got that kill in them. Right. But LeBron might be a tiger shark. I bet you you won't get in the water with none of them sharks, though. Right? They they all still on a certain level of kill yeah, that you got to respect. Man. Yeah, man. So, no, it's just it's good to hear your perspective on all that, man. Just I just appreciate the greatness on that. But, man, I appreciate you. Because a lot of guys kind of shy away from that, but I appreciate your honesty on that. I want to get into some of your coaching. You know, you got into coaching in 2008, mm-hmm. and you got you started at Rice as the director of player development and so anybody that doesn't know the coaching scale at, u- at universities you know director of player development and video coordinator are usually behind the dobo and then you got three assistants then you got the head coach you know you w- wasn't really allowed to recruit and somebody of your playing stat stature and experience i would have thought could have just jumped in as an assistant so was it difficult for you to get your break in the coaching and even so, with that, why did you start off at Rice? Who who gave you your break to get in?
1: You know what? I didn't even want to – I didn't even start out trying to coach Marcus, really and truly. Um, I lived in Houston, so I got a house in Houston. So what I was doing – I used to work out at Rice. I had worked out at Rice. Um, I, I worked out at Rice for probably like four or five summer summers. Willis Wilson was the coach then. Um, and then Willis Willis – got let go, and they brought in Ben Braun, and and he let us come in, let us come in the gym and work out. So I would work out there right. So I was just kind of, I didn't know whether I was going to play play again or not, but I was just trying to stay ready just in case. The athletic director at that time, Chris Del Conte, he was from Arizona, so he was there when I was an undergrad, so I knew him. Um, and so he kind of told me, man, go down there and holler at Ben. You know, you, you, you might as well try to coach. And I was like, man, I'm not a coach, so. Truth be told, he's the one that told me to go down there and holler at Ben Brown, because I didn't know Ben like that. You know, and so I went down there, I talked to Ben. And so on the initial, it was just basically getting my feet wet. I didn't even have no title. I just went to practice. So I didn't really know I didn't even really know nothing about the college structure. And so he kind of told me about the college structure. And at that time, you know, he was telling me, I think it was a restricted earnings coach or something at that time. That's what they had. Wasn't that the third assistant back in 2008? That might have been a restricted earnings coach. Yep. And I said, I said, look, I said, all I'm trying to do is learn. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know about college. This isn't something that I tried to do. Um, right. I'm just trying to figure all of it out. And so – I just would watch from the sideline. I would talk to the kids from the sideline, X, Y, and Z. So the kids started, you know, the kids kind of took to me. So, you know, once the kids took to me, I think Ben allowed me to grow at my own pace. I said, man, let me come shadow you like for a couple of days and just kind of see what this whole gamut is of, of being a head coach in college. I said, I'm interested Come up here and hang out with some of the assistants and all that stuff, you know. So I ain't had no office or nothing. So literally, I was working out in the morning, doing my doing my own thing, and then I would just go up there afterwards, right? So that's when I started seeing kind of the full gamut of what what it was. And then, so Ben, I think he enjoyed having me around. And truth be told, man, I like being around. I like being around not only the staff, but I like being around those kids. You know, it was fun. It was. It made me look forward to something every day because. When you retire, it's boring, man. Like, you know, it's, and I was in a flux. I was in, didn't know whether I was in or out. It was, but it was boring, you know, I'll be honest with you. And I, I had something to finally look forward to. So, then what happened, then was like, man, what? Just come on ahead and come to some games, man. So, I was going. It was non-conference. And, you know, I went and sat on the bench for a couple games. And I remember one game we played. It's funny. This this is funny. I, If I knew the other coach on the other team. And now, understand. I didn't necessarily know him personally, but they would look at me like, Damon, you, I didn't know you were a coach, right? So we played Harvard. We played Harvard. We beat Harvard, too. And, and that's when Harvard had Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin was at Harvard. We beat Harvard. Amaker was the coach. I think that might have been maybe his first or second year because I, I had known him. You know, I, I remember he was at Seton Hall in that, at Michigan. I don't know which one he was at first. Anyway, after the game, he's like, oh, man, Kenny, Blake, Kenny Blakely was one of his assistants. Man, we didn't know you was in. I said, yeah, I'm just helping out with the kids. And so that's how I really started, right? Then we played Texas A&M. Texas A&M had DeAndre DeAndre Jordan. They had they had Coach Byron. They had, And obviously, Tur- Turgeon was the head coach. And so I knew Coach Byron and Turgeon. I knew Byron from Houston, pro-am. knew DeAndre from Houston because he worked out uh, at the gym with us. And then I knew Turgeon from when Turgeon was, was an assistant with Jerry Green at Oregon. And so it was funny. He was like, man, you're coaching? He <laughs> couldn't believe it. So that's how it started, man. And so then what happened, real quick, I said, Ben, I'll go, can I go on a road trip? He said, you know, we can't pay, because it's not the budget. I said, man, don't worry about that. i pay for my own trip. Pay for my own trip, pay for my own. So we go to UAB, I do that. That's how I kind of got into it, man. I was the full gamut of it. I, and, and ironically enough, I was only there for about a month and a half. What happened was I was there for about a month and a half. And then uh the Memphis Grizzlies fired Mark Ivaroni, Lionel Hollins, got the coaching job, and then Lionel called me. My first two years, my first two years of coaching. So at Rice and at Memphis, when I went to the Grizzlies, I didn't even get paid. Now, that's that's not it's different levels to it, right? I just left the league, you know. I, you know, I, I was good with my bread, so I could afford to do certain things, you know. what I mean, I, and I get it, but yeah, I didn't even my first
0: two and a half years, I didn't even get paid. Man, that's crazy, man. It goes to show, man. I mean, you was just there working out, fell into your lap. But you mentioned like getting going to rice and enjoying being around the guys. And when I coached at St. Louis University, I was there with Calbert Chaney, and he's now in the G League, and He's yeah. thought about going back to the NBA. So he's told me some of the differences between coaching pros and college and what he prefers more or less. So, like you mentioned, you've been to the Grizzlies, back to Arizona, Memphis, now Pacific. You know, what's the biggest difference between coaching college-age kids and coaching college and then coaching in the NBA? You you know, college, college, is, college
1: is different from the standpoint. Um, I feel like you can – you know, you gotta be able to get it, guys, on both levels. But I feel like at college, like if you get the right group of kids, and I think, I think people that watch this, I hope they understand what I'm saying. There there really is a difference between high majors and mid-majors. It, it is, it's a difference. There, there's a difference. And here's the difference. Um, when I was at Arizona and when I was at Memphis, you could really get at them kids, man. Because they aspire to be pros. They have seen enough people in their circle become pros. To, to you know, uh, the Stanley Johnsons, T.J. McConnells, Ron Day Jefferson, man, the dudes was pros. Like, you know, um, at Memphis, Will Barton, he, he, he told me what he was going to do to get out of there. Man, I'm an average 20 and 10, coach. He averaged 19 and 9, but, you know, I'm 20 and 10, I'm out. But now you get to mid-major, you got to aspire a little different. So I, so I got high majors out. so. That the biggest difference to me is like being a head coach at a mid-major and then being a pro coach because it's different. At mid-major basketball, you know, you gotta make kids believe number one, you gotta get them the utmost confidence. You gotta put your you got put your arm around them, you gotta love on them to get whatever it is out of them that you getting. Even at the high major, but that's the one thing I tell this to guys all the time. I was talking to some an executive from an NBA organization the other day. And he said, what do we need to do better? I said, what y'all don't do in the NBA, you don't put your arms around guys. They give, in, in the NBA, it's about money. If you pay a guy $5 million, $10 million, $15 million, and we all guilty of it in our own way, right? We feel like they supposed to perform. But then you forget, these are the same kids that's coming from college. The number one thing you gotta do on the collegiate level and the pro level is you got to love on them because they're still kids. They're still kids. Devin Booker is considered one of the best two guards in the league, and I don't think he's nothing but 23. Man, he's a kid. He's a kid. Um, you know, but in the pros, you're, you're expected to be more professional. In college, we're expect, expected to give them the professionalism. You have to give them a boundaries. You got to give them rules. You You're – it's a 24-hour job. Um, you know, uh, your, your job depends on, their, on the kid's successes and failures. And the kids don't even know that. That's what the kids don't know. The kids don't know that. The kids have no clue about that. So when you get a phone call on a kid and it's a good call, in your head you're so happy. But when you get a phone call on that kid and it's something that you got to go dig into, it becomes a problem. Because you know deep down what's at stake. And I don't think the kids know. You're trying to get the kids to understand at, at, on the college level what's at stake. You know, uh, I don't think some of them really understand what's at stake. You got to figure this thing out quick, trying to speed up the process. You know, and I think that's the, for me, that's the, that's the biggest difference. You got a 24-hour job as a head coach where you're the, you're the owner, CEO, you're the president, you're, you're the general manager, director of basketball operations. You're the head coach. Now you got your assistants. Now you got to delegate all within that stuff. And, you know, we don't have that luxury. In the NBA, it's all basketball. They got it. like I said, they have an owner. They have a CEO. Like, stuff that happens there, you know, off the floor, um, that has nothing to do with the coaching staff. The coaching staff coaches the players that they put in front
0: of them, and that's all you do. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I've talked to a couple of different guys who have done both, and some guys are just like, some prefer one over the other. Some guys are like, you know, I just, in the pros, it's more, it's more business. You know, we've heard Greg Popovich talk about, hey, you don't have to inspire a plumber to come to work and be a plumber. You come and do your job. Whereas in college, like you said, it is your job to inspire these guys and, yeah. and all that. So it depends what you want. And then also, some guys enjoy the recruiting. Some guys don't. You know, you got to go through the draft and you know and evaluate but in college you know you're essentially i wouldn't say begging but you're trying to coerce parents and kids to come there whereas in college you know you sign in the guy you're on this team and this is what it is so there's some differences but i guess it's just to each his own what he prefers and uh, yeah it's yeah
1: it's it's i agree with you it's to each his own but it's 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 definitely difficult i i see well, I shouldn't say. I see. I hear more. Co- I hear more college guys say that that they don't know about the pros because the, it's 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 so limited a job in the pros compared to college. And I'm like, man, you know, I could, I agree to disagree with that. It's 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 you know, coaching is coaching, man. If you know how to inspire, man, coaching is coaching. Like you know, you can't be set your ways in the pros, though. I think that's helped me in college. You got you to gotta change on the run. What I see a lot in college sometimes is that guys don't really want to adapt. That's the first thing I learned as a coach in the pros. You got to learn to adapt. It's all about the adjustment. It's not what you come in with. It's the adjustment.
0: Definitely, definitely, man. That's some, that's some good knowledge. So want to fast forward to where you're at now. You're at Pacific. Been there a couple years, building up the program this past year. Finished 23-10, third in the West Coast Conference. What do you think has been some of the reason for your turnaround from last year to now uh in terms of getting 23 wins and and, and finishing uh, higher in the conference?
1: Well, the biggest thing, Marcus, number one, is we, we're off probation. You know, I I you know, I, I didn't really talk about it enough. And I think all all my friends and people in the business like, and, tell everybody, you gotta let everybody know. You know, but I just, you know, I, I'm i not a guy for excuses. But we were on probation for three years, and, you know, that's how I got the job. The first year off probation, we had the success this year. Uh, I think it started from the beginning in creating a culture, uh, you know, figuring out things, trial and error, you know. And I'll say this, um, you know, God, like I said, you know, for me, like, you know, you sit up here, you write all these notes, you do all this stuff, you know, and you, you talk about what you want to do to become a head coach, you know, and then you go into an interview process and all that, you know, but man, when, it, when you become a head coach, like you got to figure all that out. And if you don't figure something out and, and kind of frame your own plan and frame a plan, because there's going to be some deviation along the way, then you're going to get fired straight up, like, it's hard. You know, what I wanted to do when I came here, like if I showed you my original plan or what I did, man, I scrapped all that. That that wasn't wasn't working. That wasn't working. It wasn't, it wasn't gonna work. You start scrapping stuff, you start doing things on the run, and you start learning. And that's what I did. And um, we got up to this point this year to where we finally put it all together. You know, the one thing that people don't understand, I think, and I think that our conference is starting to get a lot of recognition. Now, the WCC is a tough conference. The one thing that goes unsaid, you always have St. Mary's, Gonzaga, BYU have been the top three teams, you know, in this league perennially since BYU entered. In my my first four years, what I'm proud of, and see people, like I say, it's almost like – Look, I gotta do a better job of talking about my own program. The second year here, we only had seven scholarship players, and we came in fourth place in the conference. We have finished in in since I've been head coach here at Pacific. We finished in the top four of this conference two out of four years. Man, you know how hard that is. I'm will, I, I would want to see what what others what other schools within the ten year frame you know did that. You know, um, I think that says a lot about you know. Uh, the players and, and the staff, you know, because I haven't done it alone. Um, you know, but it's been, it's been a joy trying to figure things out. And, you know, you have different methods to your madness, you know, as you figure out the conference. And the first thing that I figured out in this conference is, and, you know, you can't you're, – you're never going to win in this league with all freshmen. It's not possible. It's not possible. You got Gonzaga getting top ten recruiting classes. You got BYU that has a lane of themselves. St. Mary's has a lane of themselves. And then everybody else in the league, we got to figure it out. And I just don't think you can win with all freshmen. I think you'll win every four years with all freshmen. But you, you, you're not going to win with all freshmen. Um, so I've tried to do things uniquely. Last year was the first year that I actually – I had three freshmen on my team. That's the most freshmen I've had. Um, in, one, in one season, and and one was a starter. Uh, one was a part-time starter, and one got injured, so they were major contributors on, on my team, but you usually don't find that. Um, you know, I've, I've been able to mix in grad transfers with some JUCOs, you know, and that's kind of been my recipe. You know, I try not to infiltrate it with more than one or the other, Whatever it might be, I'm looking for a skilled guy because this year one of the biggest things for me and my team is depth, okay? The biggest thing for anybody in, in running a program is playing time. Guys want to play. But if they know they got somebody behind them, they, they tend to do the right thing or not, man, come sit down with us, you know, because he want to play tonight. And that's, and that's what, that's what uh, you know, we did this year, and it helped us out tremendously also.
0: Yeah, man, I love the way you build it because, like you said, it, it's hard to compete with when you got Gonzaga getting top 10 classes, when they're if they're getting four or five-star freshmen and you're not, the way that you're going to have to compete against that is to have older, more deve- physically developed guys, whether okay. you got them from JUCO, whether they're third or fourth year, juniors, seniors, maybe fifth year kid who redshirted, but you got to be able to combat that with maturity and strength, which you yeah. get from grad transfer, which you get from JUCO, which you get from third, fourth, fifth year guys. So you're exactly right, Coach. So a couple other things before we finish up is, speaking of your team, what what should we be looking out for next year? Do you have any grad transfers coming in, any guys that set out, any incoming freshmen, anybody that might jump off to jump off the radar to us and have an impact on your season next year?
1: Yeah, we have, um, you know, we we incorporated some transfers. We do have some transfers coming in. I signed five guys. I had eight guys coming back. I lost my best player, Jalil Trip. But I had eight guys coming back, actually seven guys coming back but i i end up signing i signed a one grad transfer um jordan bell from L- Loyola marymount it was within conference, but it was a little different because coach dunlap was was let go you know um but jordan bell um you know' is coming to us he's a he's a four or five mostly four that i wanna want' at um we have uh, Javay Green transferring in from Nebraska who I think um, if he's able to get the waiver I think he'll impact us right away he, he averaged eight points a game at Nebraska last season um, he was one of the top JUCO players in the country a couple years ago um, we also added Nigel Shad, uh transferring in from Kansas State who um, I think could really impact our program um, he reminds me a lot but only he's thicker. Um, you know, obviously at K-State, the, the way Coach Weber and those guys down there do it, I know that staff. They do a great job. and They always seem to get a bunch of bigs and let the bigs fight it out and figure it out. And so I, I think Nigel can really help us with his running, with his jumping. Um, I, I, he's the type of guy to me that, sh- that should be right in the mix for defensive player of the year in our conference. One thing that we do well, we, we've been a pretty good defensive team. Another another thing that uh, in my first four years we've had the defensive player of the year in our in in, in the WCC twice and um, you know uh, I don't see I don't see it being any difference with a, any different with a guy like Nigel he has that capability to be a, 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 a double digit rebounder and a great shot block guy for us. Um, signed a kid um, from Chipola, uh, Mario Mating. Um, you know, I think, you know, he has a chance to be be a star. Uh, 6'10", 6'10", wing, you know, can play some three, play some three, well, shoot can play some four, but really is a three, you know, is a wing. I think he runs for layups. He can shoot the three. I look forward to, you know, being able to coach him the way he moves without the ball. Um, you know, the things that he don't have, you know, he'll get that here, you know, because, you know, we – the environment, you know, you got to be mentally tough, man. You know, you just – that's the environment. You know, I try to create a hostile environment so guys can understand that they got to be mentally tough. Um, and and um, uh, Jalen Brown, he went to Eastern Arizona. Um, you know, he, he'll come in, he'll fill a void for us in terms of shooting the ball. Um, he has three years. So I'm looking forward to those guys and – you know, um, the, the guys that we have, you know, coming back being a little bit better. It's such a different season, man. You know, it's going to be different. And, you know, I tell guys this, you know, everybody have their own theories. But I tell you, I, I you know, I've been through a lockout in the NBA um where in 99 we didn't start until um, I think it was – I think our first practice was like late December. Late December. And I don't know what's, what actually is going to happen, you know, here. But I, I do know this. One thing about it, everybody's on, on, on the same playing field because, you know, un, un, unless somebody's family has a gym at, them, at their house, uh, nobody's, shooting ball, nobody's shooting ball. But I really think that this is a year where depth will, will be key for teams. And, and, and I love my depth once again. You know, I love my depth. You know, I got a guy coming back, too. Let me add this. My freshman that set out, Jonathan Salazar, uh, two years ago, he was one of the top players in California. Um, you know, uh, undersized, undersized, four physical. Um, you know, we get him back healthy. He can be he can be one of the best rebounders in this league, too, and just add to the toughness standpoint of the way I like to play. So um, I'm excited. Um, but we do got a lot of depth, and I think depth will be key. And, and, and what's going on right now, depending on, you know, how many games we play or don't play, because I don't think anybody
0: knows. No, you're exactly right. Sounds like you got a lot of good pieces coming back and looking forward to seeing your style of play. Last thing I always finish with is, you know, anybody that comes on here probably has had some level of success and obviously as a player, uh, the college level, pro level, now as a coach you've had a lot of success. So are there any things that you do, any daily habits or any – uh? routines or anything that you do that throughout your life or even recently that you do that you feel contributes to your level of success?
1: You know what's crazy is I I do. uh, I am am a routine driven guy. I don't honestly I don't know how people that don't have a routine how they function. Um, I wake up I wake up in the morning. um, I probably get up I've been getting up a little later, more like six now, but usually if this was regular, just normal, you know, I'm, I'm up at like 4.45, 4.30, 4.45. Um, I read the Bible. I read Psalms 23. I read Psalms 101. And I read Philippians 10 to 15 every day. Every single day I drink, look, I, drink, I it's crazy. Look, I drink a bottle of room temperature water. I've been doing like I've been doing this like for 15, 16 years. Um, You know, uh, I walk around my own house to wake up because I'm up, but I'm not up. So I walk around the house to wake up and then I work out, then I work out. And I gotta do that every morning. For me, working out is the therapeutic thing. Like I don't know how people. Like we all got our vices. For me, my vice is working out. If I don't work out, I can't. I can't function. I'm, I'm irritated. I'm honoring Like I'm not the same person. So I work out seven days a week. I'm not one of them guys. I'm gonna take a couple of days off. Nope. I work out every day until my body says chill. That's when I take time off. When my body says chill, that's That's my. That's, that's when I. That's when I won't work out.
0: I talk to, I ask a lot of coaches that, and almost everyone says working out is a must. Just you know, working out, getting that negative energy out, getting a clear mind. Uh, But that's also about waking up, standing your word, and everything, man. But I do believe you got to have a routine to be successful. But before I close up, man, I do want to say for the people out there listening, man, I I really respect not only your game. We 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 all know, you know, you' consistent, first team All-American, NBA vet. But I, one of my former players at SLU. Miles Reynolds transferred out and played for you a little while, man. And I just remember talking to him and James, his dad, and they were so impressed with your your genuineness and what they felt you could teach him as not only as a point guard, but as a man. And so for anybody that's been through things in their life, like we was talking about your time in Portland and everything, like your stuff isn't as extreme, but like you think of guys like Tyson and George Foreman who were labeled something at one point in their career and now – they're, they're seeing completely different. And so for you to go from there to a point now where a guy transfers and they want to be with you as a mentor, I think says a lot about you as your development as a man, man. So I really, a lot of people don't see that. They just see the end product, but man, I really appreciate your, your consistency to continuously, you know, work on yourself and now giving that knowledge back to our youth, man. So I really appreciate that coach. Uh, Thank
1: you, Marcus, man. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that, man. That's a good family there, though, man. The Reynolds, boy, that's a good family. I still talk to them, man. Them good folks there, man. Good people. Yeah, they are,
0: man. <laughs> They're good people. They're good people. Miles, Miles loved you, man. So, anyway, I appreciate you making the time for coming on, man. Good luck to you this summer. Hopefully you get back on the court soon, get back around your guys, and have a, have a great season next year, Coach. Okay, Marcus. Thanks, man. Appreciate All right, you, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you, Coach Stoudemire, for coming on The Details of Life. Good luck to you next year. That was a great conversation. I'm not going to lie. That was one of the most fun conversations I've, I've had on here. Going down memory lane, he's got so many experiences. It's easy to see why he's having success. You know, a lot of times when NBA coaches come to the college level, and coach, historically, have not fared very well. But Coach Stoudemire is breaking that mold, as we saw with being Coach of the Year, and it's easy to see why. Easy guy to talk to. A lot of experiences. Mentoring our youth. Keep it up, brother. I'm supporting you. Next episode, we have another young good coach. Out on the West Coast. Dietrich Taylor out of Cal State Fullerton. You know, some of you may not know him from around this area where I'm at in the Midwest. But if you've been in the game for a while, you know who he is. He's been around for a while. Besides his head coaching job, probably most notably was when he was assistant coach at Arizona State. Coaching James Harden. So we talked about that. His development. Because obviously when he when James Harden was at Arizona State, I don't know anybody thought he would be who he is now. So we talked about his development. What he saw in them then. As well as he has this cool thing going on called the Think Tank where he's bringing guys in, coaches, talking about life things, not not X's and O's. We're talking about financial advisors, giving them uh, emotional intelligence skills, all the things to build up to make a coach more successful on and off the court because, you know, he's giving them the details of how to be great because even he knows greatness is in the details, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are having a blast here. Make sure you tune back in next Wednesday for an awesome episode. Like, subscribe, share, and let's keep getting it done. Peace.